reading for today is Ezekiel chapter 47 and verses 1 to 12. Ezekiel 47, and starting at verse 1. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was flowing from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? And he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the sea, where when it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swimming swarms of living creatures will live uh, wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because of this. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Aingedi to Englayam. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the great sea. But the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Morning, everyone. Morning, everyone at online. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that as we come to your word, that we, you might help us to understand, encourage us from your truth, make us more like Jesus, we pray, and keep me from error, we would ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I pray that prayer every week. I suppose you've probably noticed. Uh, this week is a place in scripture where there are many different opinions. And so sometimes I think we think uh, there's one right one. Well, I'm going to give you mine. 
there are other people holding other places, uh, other opinions on this passage uh, in particular. Uh, they are probably smarter than me, probably better looking than me, more sporty than me, uh, all those things. Uh, but this is me. And so it's hard, isn't it, when people speak the truth that uh, there are places in Scripture that are able to be seen in different ways by many fine people. That's the truth. And this is one of them. But we come to the end of Ezekiel, and the title is Let the Good Times Roll. Why let the good times roll? It's because we're coming to a place where God's future is wonderful, where God's future is unending, where there's not a struggle, not a difficulty, not a worry. Yes, let the good times roll. You may want to turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 39, which is before we're doing from 40 to 48, so just like me to actually do outside the chapter. 39, 25 to 29, God says this is what his purpose for his people is. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will bring back Jacob from captivity and I will have compassion on all the people of Israel and I will be jealous for my holy name. They will forget their shame and all the unfaithfulness they showed toward me when they lived in safety in their land with no one to make them afraid. When I brought them back from the nations and gathered them from the countries of their enemies, I will show myself holy through them in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God. Though I sent them into exile among the nations, I will gather them to their own land, not leaving any behind. I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord. He will restore, he says, firstly, the fortunes of his people. Secondly, they shall not they shall bear their shame no more because God has pardoned them. Thirdly, God will gather them from all over the world as witness to his holiness. Fourthly, they will have God's spirit poured out on them. That very same breath we saw last week of, that was breathed into the skeletons of the dead in Ezekiel 37 and bring them to life again. So there is, as we come to 40 to 48, something to say about how do we interpret this sort of writing. Some would interpret this literally. So they would be saying in this chapters, which we actually haven't read, but if you skim through quickly, 40 to 48, there is a new temple built. So some would see when the exiles return, a new temple will be built. The problem I see with that is there are lots and lots of measurements given, and that looks like exactly what it, yes, it should be taken literally. That does look like that. But the ground plan leaves dozens of details to the imagination. There are lots of different pictures of this temple, and its exact look to me and to others, is too uncertain. The temple is impossibly situated in a very high mountain. 
and then further this one big vision and some things are not actually what normally happens. Rivers don't flow from temples. They don't get start ankle deep if they do, and they don't go in possible directions as they do in this vision. Somehow picking up water. So at the end of our vision, they are a raging river too far to cross and too deep. All these things literally don't work. So that's one view, taking it literally, but uh, in my view, you can't. Secondly, there's the dispensationalist view, which is uh, if you've ever heard of the Schofield Reference Bible that came out in the America in the 19th century, if you've got a copy of the Schofield Reference Bible, you were being given a version of dispensationalism. It's very literal but it's very future. So these people are interested very much in what happens in Israel today when you hold this view. Some of them see a new temple will be built, are planning for it to be built, are raising money. They look for literal fulfillment of Bible prophecies and, of course, they link this to the second coming of Jesus. Uh, I think this is, again, a misunderstanding of Bible prophecy because of my, my view, which is the last view I give you here. This, what you are reading here, is proto-apocalyptic. That's a word that theologians like to use like me so that we can think we're really smart. So I've done it. I've achieved it. There you go. Proto, what, Keith, what on earth are you talking about here? This is your view. Apocalyptic is a style. You, you're familiar with the end of the Bible, Revelation, which speaks in sort of ways that people find hard to understand and come up with all sorts of things. That's apocalyptic, but this is too early. Ezekiel's too early to be called apocalyptic, but it certainly contributes to what apocalyptic will be. You can read a lot of apocalyptic literature not in the Bible. It's actually a literary style. You know how I'm speaking now, my, my literary style? Jibber-jabber? Gobbledygook? Yeah, that's my literary style. But there is a whole literary style of apocalyptic you can read. Apocalyptic is a writing that is symbolic. It uses numbers in a symmetrical way, which is done in this passage. It's a picture language because it creates symbols. It creates echoes for people. It reminds them of what they know or experience or have heard about. It creates pictures of things that are otherworldly. And because they're otherworldly, you can't actually describe them. That's what apocalyptic does. That's why when you read Revelation, things happen which are like, wow. But if you read that literally, you misunderstand it. And that's what I propose here, that actually this is uh, proto-apocalyptic. But it is in terms that are very, very familiar to the hearers and to the, the readers from this world. Firstly, the temple. In Ezekiel chapter 40 to 44, you get a new vision of a new temple. It's perfect. It's a perfect temple. It's very elaborate. There are lots of measurements. It's very precise. 
It's beautifully symmetrical. The building, you get the idea that it is perfect because God's perfect relationship between him and his people. The Lord will return to this temple. You remember in chapter 10, you might have been here, but in chapter 10, there is a terrible passage which, you have to, which I had to preach on, which is really quite heart-wrenching because it's when God leaves, when he abandons the temple. And I don't know about you, but one of the things that fears me with fear is if God left me and I hear what happens when God leaves that temple. Why did he abandon that temple? It's because the people had abandoned him and they'd filled it. You might remember in that vision, they'd filled it with gods from all around the nations. There was no room for him anymore. So the vision is of him leaving. Here, God returns to this temple and his people we gathered to it from the four corners of the world, shepherded home by God himself. So in chapter 43, verse 4 to 5, you read this, the glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Then the spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. God was now to bless them and restore their fortunes. If the Lord takes up residence in his temple, then he is now with his people. The Lord is here and there is a new future. Secondly, as you read and as Cameron read to us, as you read through here, there are strong hints of a new creation, of a new Garden of Eden. Verse 7 to 9 of chapter 47, when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. The picture is of life, of the waters that flow from this temperature bring wonderful abundance. It's a place where God's presence has cleansed and renewed it. Water flows from the temple itself. Water is life. For life cannot exist without it. Wherever the water, the spirit of the living God flows, there is life. And it flows from the temple to the barren places. Has anyone ever been to the Dead Sea? I'm sure someone has. Yes, I knew you'd been to the Dead Sea. What's, what's in the Dead Sea? Anything in the Dead Sea? It's pretty salty. You can float. Is that that whole float? Have you floated? I think I, I think I'd I think I'd manage to sink. <laughs> I still have to find that unbelievable. It, it would be very beautiful. I'd love to be there. Uh, it, the picture is it flows to the Dead Sea. In fact, into the Jordan Valley. This new work of God brings life, new life 
to God's new creation. And then the, the land is divided in chapters 45 to 48. The different tribes receive allotments of land. And obviously, if you're a Jewish person and you're hearing this, you're being taken back to the good old days where Israel was brought to the promised land. Happy memories. But of course, it's even better here because there is no struggle. There is no struggle for that because God's people are perfectly secure in God's place under God's care. And so that's the picture we get at the end of Ezekiel, that despite all that they've been through, God will bring them and bless them. It's as good as it gets. That's our last point. Ezekiel's quite a journey. From being out of control in a spin in sin and judgment to here, where God has turned it all around and in his mercy, piling blessing upon blessing on them. God's perfect plan for his people, where he is enjoyed, where he will always be, and for the blessings that flow to other places from what God is doing, that river of life. Ezekiel's hearers remember where they are when they hear this final message. It's this final message is the same place they've been all the other places. They're in exile. They're out of Israel. They're sitting in a place where they were taken and brought to. Now they can hear this and pick themselves up and go in hope because God is good and wants to be good to them. As I said, I'm someone who sees these things fulfilled in Jesus. And I think it's as good as it gets in Christ. We're reminded of the blessings that we have through Jesus. At the end of the Old Testament, this temple had not been built. That when the exiles returned, the hope that they seemingly would have that new beginning had failed had not come to be. And when Jesus walked that world, there are still hopes that someone like him might actually raise them up and take what is theirs. It's the same Jesus who says to them, destroy this temple, as we heard, and I will raise it again in three days. It's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days? What are you, out of your mind? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he said and they believed the scriptures. In Jesus, we have our new place of worship where we don't come to temples we don't belong to anything that's special. We belong to him. He is the place and the place where we reside. is the place where we worship. Jesus is the sign of God's caring presence with his people. As he has breathed life into us by his spirit, he is making us, as 1 Corinthians 3 and Ephesians 2 say, 
He is making us into living temples where God dwells. God's people are being shaped into a temple of God. God's life giving breath, his spirit lives within us, but he no longer resides in buildings. He resides in Christ in us. Jesus was given as a sacrifice for sins to bring us back to God, that this fulfillment of his death and resurrection for us, that fulfilled the scriptures, that all may come to him. The people from the four nations come, nations from all the corners of the world. Why are there only four corners? I've never known. Four corners of the world, they are coming to him as we come where God is gathering his people. And one day, as Revelation 21 tells us, a new heaven and a new earth where God will make his home amongst us, his people, where there'll be no more injustice, where there'll be no more illnesses, where there'll be no more tears, nor pain, and that God will be with them forever. That's us. So that's a great hope, and I think that's the hope we have in Christ, and it's the journey we've gone on in Ezekiel, where God has dealt with our sin and fulfilled it in Christ, that we might hear what the bride and the spirit say in Revelation twenty-two seventeen: Come, or let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let them take the free gift of the water of life. It couldn't be any richer. Let the good times roll. Because God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that uh, we have been blessed. We realise this is a hard, hard section. And uh, we, we realise that uh, other people hold different views and we need to respect that. Lord, one thing we all agree in is that we've been blessed in the heavenly realms by our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that in him we have uh, life that you've poured life, your life-giving spirit into us. And we pray, Lord, make us joyful people. Make us people that shine your love for each other and for our world. May we love your message, your hope, your truth, and your glorious future. In his name we pray. Amen.